Sportsnet 960, the fan. Hour number two. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. Everything basementy since 1992, serving Calgary and Southern Alberta. At the bottom of the hour, we'll tee up the flames and habs from the Montreal perspective with Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette. We're still taking your text messages too, 960, 960, name and location. Your chance to win uh, one of the 12 days of Christmas at our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery, the advent calendar. Yeah, we know Daryl Sutter meant the refereeing, but we want to know from you, 960, 960, name and location, what Daryl Sutter meant by that clip from Saturday night. You play and you come into Toronto, you know what goes on. Yeah, what goes on in Toronto, 960, 960, name and location, the best text. We'll get a chance to open up the advent calendar later on in the show. But joining us right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, our man, Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Charles, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I want to get to Toronto. Well, like I... I I, I want to find out what goes on in Toronto. That's that's pretty cryptic. Yeah, it is. Um, It sounds to me like some stuff's going down in Toronto, and I (laughs) want to find out. So now you've opened this can of worms for me, Charles. He was obviously alluding to the refereeing. Is there a city in the National Football League where refereeing sometimes gets a little dodgy? Um, Where people accuse it of being dodgy? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you really think that people think that New England doesn't benefit from stuff, even though they've had their share of issues like the Flate Gate and stuff like that? People always point and think that they get calls. When Indianapolis was was riding high with Peyton Manning, we had that playoff game where New England jumped on pretty hard, and Ty Law, Hall of Fame cornerback, manhandled the receivers. Bill Polian, the GM of of the Colts, did what good GMs do: complain to the league. Our our receivers can't get open; they can't they can't get off the line. They're holding. They're doing. Got to be tougher on holding. And there became a league wide edict about holding and, and and roughing up receivers. And everybody just jumped on the Colts about Bill Poley and getting the officials on his side and taking care of Peyton and all that, so on and so forth. So it revolves around the better teams. Tom Brady in Tampa during their run when they won the Super Bowl and all. If you got near Tom Brady, it was roughing the passer. Mm. You know, so, so it kind of revolves more around the better the teams, the better the players, the more people accuse them of getting calls. Uh, Charles, you did the Chiefs and Broncos game yesterday where credit to the Broncos – for uh, kind of making it a game after being down 27 to nothing. I have to ask you about yeah. Russell Wilson. You had an up-close and, and personal look at him. He suffered that unfortunate head injury that took him out of the game. Um, but before that, what what is different that you see from Russell Wilson? Why is he just looking like a shell of what he was in his time with the Seattle Seahawks? What's the one thing that really stands out to you? I don't think... Let me throw one thing in there before I tell you the answer for, is from my perspective. We saw flashes on Sunday mm-hmm. and a few more flashes of what we remembered than maybe I'd seen most of the year. Okay, so that's where I'm starting. That's my starting point. Okay. He competed like mad. The play he got hurt was a flat-out competitive, I'm trying to win the game play. He totally gave his body up on that one. No one expects to come up concussed. Okay, that's not what it's like. Oh, I'm going to take the concussion. No one does that. But quarterbacks, we know, slide more than go head first into, you know, into the fray. 
And he wasn't going head first as a dive and a slide. He was going to try and get to the goal line and took the hit. What I think that I've seen now that I've had how many games, even though this is the, only the first time I saw him up close, because the last time we had Denver, he didn't play. It was hurt. So we saw Brett Ripon. I don't think that he's as dynamic and gets away as he used to, meaning in pocket, plays outside the pocket, the whole deal. I'm seeing people get him on the ground that in the past would not have. In the past, it was more Von Miller-esque type players that got Russell Wilson on the ground. Now it's much more if the rush is there and you're closer, you have a better chance of getting him. His escape hatch isn't what it used to be, in my humble opinion. And that's part of what, what I think we're, we're seeing. Now, yesterday, as I said, there were glimpses. There were a couple times where he was really decisive and he saw an opening and he went. Earlier in the year, I, said, I saw him see those openings and he was trying to keep the play alive to throw it. And sometimes things would break down. I just thought he was much more decisive when he went yesterday. But also go back and throw on the tape and see the number of times he did get caught in the pocket. Now, some of those were not his fault. Some of those are what I call jailbreaks, okay? All of a sudden, whoosh, and they're there. No one gets out of that. I don't care if you're a combination of Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, you know, whoever you want in their prime, Steve Young in his prime. You're not getting away from the jailbreaks. They're there. But other ones, I just feel like there's a step that he used to have or a gear that he used to have that's on, that used to be on display full time, and now we're seeing glimpses of it but it's not as consistent. I hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and we've seen it all season long as he kind of continues to trend in that direction. Wanted to ask you about the Lions and the Vikings game as well, Charles. Is uh, The Lions are able to beat the Vikings 34-23. Yeah. Both teams are giving up just yards on yards in this one. <laughs> is this more of a, a triumph for the Detroit Lions, or is this more of a, a detriment on the Minnesota Vikings after yesterday's result? I think much more triumph for Detroit, and this is why we've had – they've kind of been the darlings since Hard Knocks. You know, how many times – I don't know about you guys, but everywhere I go around the league, I hear someone say some version of – and they haven't said – they didn't say it as as when they got off to the rocky start, but I'm hearing it again now. You know, my favorite team is pick a team, right? Yeah. But my second favorite team is Detroit. Because, boy, I sure liked what I saw on Hard Knocks, and I sure want them to be successful. So a lot of people were looking for them to be they, – they wanted to see how this all played out because Hard Knocks this year I think was one of their better years that they've had in recent years. I think it got kind of stale. And this one, still the same formula, but the personalities came through and I think carried the show. And people were – I heard more about Hard Knocks this year than I had in probably the previous three, four years combined. So that told me a lot about them. But definitely much more a triumph because they got off to such a bad start. And when I say bad start record-wise, they were in most games, but they didn't know how to win, so they became SOL, same old Lions. We're used to this. Yeah, they give you a good effort, but they don't know how to close. How they give you a good effort, but a call goes against them. Like the Lions would tell you, you have to talk about places with officiating. You ask anyone in Detroit organization, they'll tell you, yeah, anytime you go to Green Bay, you're going to get screwed. I mean, they're just going to tell you that, right? Because – that's what happens to them a lot. They play Green Bay off their feet, and then something goes haywire at the end, or Green Bay gets a call that keeps the drive alive, you get the whole idea. But that's what I thought, much more triumph. They're playing well now. 
they're playing at a point and a level where you truly are taking this seriously. This isn't just, wow, a couple fluky wins by the Lions. Uh-uh. They're jumping on people playing extremely well on offense. Yeah. Jared Goff was supposed to not be the answer at quarterback. He may change the course of their offseason in terms of the draft and free agency. Because if he keeps playing at this level, they may say he's our quarterback and go draft to fill in other gaps as opposed to we have to go get a quarterback. And they're playing well enough that they won't be in the top 10 picking. <laughs> so that changes everything, too, about whether you have to go get a quarterback or not. So definitely taking them seriously. I see them this week. I say I, my group, my team sees them this week in New York against the Jets in a game that both teams desperately need mm. and is one of the better games on the slate for this weekend. So definitely more of that. And the reason I don't say it's the opposite for Minnesota is because if you trace Minnesota's season, their record is phenomenal, but they're 9-0 and in one-score games. That's almost – I don't want to say not sustainable because that's just not true, but 9-0 in one-score games, how often does that happen? Yeah. Especially a team that, that previously wasn't very good. And, oh, by the way, after Sunday, do you know what the point differential is for Minnesota? Because when we saw them two weeks ago, I think they were like plus six or plus seven for the year. More points scored than given up. They now have a negative points differential number, yet they're ten and three. Wow. And that's why I don't think people are going to fear them, quote unquote, come playoff time. People are like, Yeah, we can go get Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but they don't strike fear in the hearts of people right now. Wanted to ask about the uh, race in the AFC North as well. Bengals and Ravens both win. They're both nine and four. I'm looking towards the last week of the season when the Bengals and Ravens play each other and yeah. saying, man, if that's a game for all the marbles, that would be awesome to see. But what are you making of this race after both of them kind of had to sneak out these wins over the weekend? Yeah, and, and real quick before I do that, one final thing on Minnesota-Detroit. We had Minnesota the week before against the Jets in a very emotional game where their defense had to hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, and outlast them. What happened Sunday wasn't a major surprise. Mm, yeah. Just mentally going into it in the season they're having. All right, now let's move on to the Bengals and the Ravens. First time they played, Ravens, had came, Ravens came into the game early in the season as the team that blew fourth quarter leads. <laughs> Go back to the beginning of the season and, and look at the Ravens. Miami fourth quarter lead gone, you know, and just go right down the line. I think there were two or three games early in the season that you're like, what just happened here? Yeah. Fourth quarter lead or set the pace against Buffalo. They were up 20 to three against Buffalo. Lost that one at home. They found a way to win. Justin Tucker kicks the game winning field goals. The clock goes to zeros. They get it. Seemingly riding the ship, blah, blah, blah. Keep adding pieces on defense. Jason Pierre, Paul, Roquan Smith. Um, you know, adjusting to a new coordinator, starting to play more of what they call Ravens football, all right? The Bengals went through that stretch where they couldn't win close games, (laughs) you know? Early in the season, they lose to Pittsburgh at home, turn it over five times, and they lose because the long snapper gets hurt and the backup can't snap the ball well, and they they lose a game. They lose at Dallas on a field goal that goes through the pipes at the end, things of that nature. Now if you flip this thing forward, Cincinnati's a team right now that looks like they've got it together. Baltimore, when does Lamar Jackson get back? And when he gets back, what capacity will he be in terms of the running game? They did get a great boost this past weekend because they got back J.K. Dobbins, and he and Gus Edwards went for 
you know, 150 plus combined or something like that. So they look like themselves. JK over 100 himself in his first game back. But the bot, but the hurt thing that hurts him is Tyler Huntley, the backup quarterback, concussion. We don't know when he plays. Anthony Brown had to come in and play, which means they'll be signing someone to be the backup if Lamar Jackson's not ready. And I'm hearing the Christmas Eve games is when he'll be back, not this coming week. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on with them. To me, Cincinnati, much more stable team. I know that Cincinnati's a little bit tougher schedule down the stretch because if I, my record, if my if memory serves me, Cincinnati goes to New England in two weeks. They do have Kansas City, I believe, on a Monday nighter. Yep. And they have Buffalo. Not Kansas City. I mean, they have Buffalo on a Monday nighter, I believe. And then, of course, the Ravens to finish things off among the rest of their games. Mm-hmm. So it won't be an easy trail, but they're playing, a t- they're playing with what I call extreme confidence right now. And they were very workmanlike against Cleveland after Cleveland beat them on Halloween night. They did that on Sunday. But they played with an attitude much more of, you know, the last time we played, that's total fluke, right, Cleveland? You know, you know we're, we're actually a good team. You're not. That was kind of how they played that one on Sunday, and they proved themselves correct. Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Charles, is Jalen Hurts the MVP of the NFL right now? Hard to argue against it. I still think it's a race between he, Patrick Mahomes, and do not count out Joe Burrow. Mm. If Cincinnati runs the table from here on out and Burrow's he's playing at the level he's playing, he better be in the conversation. I mean, that, he, I was just sitting there talking with my son, 25 years old, big fan, blah, 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 been a jock his whole life. A lot smarter and more handsome than the old man, the whole deal, right? <laughs> and I just said, dude, Cincinnati, what do you think? And he was like, man, I love the way they play, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I know I haven't met him, and you have. He said, but my impression of Joe Burrow is he's just a flat-out assassin. (laughs) And I said, I got to give it to you, son. You never met him, but I could not give you a better description. And by the way, he he, he is the assassin. He's not the guy that orders the hit. Joe Burrow is going to do the hit himself. Okay, He's, He's the hitter. And that's where Cincinnati is right now. They are playing through him. And remember, their hiccup was with the Cleveland game on Halloween night, the first game Jamar Chase didn't play. And everybody said, ah, without Jamar Chase. Right. Go back and check since that time. There were many games Jamar Chase did not play. And they found their way through. So I just think that he's going to be in that race as well. But let's get back to Hurts. Everything that people question about him coming into the season, he has elevated his game. He's always been, got great leadership, but people didn't didn't quite grasp onto it because he's a quieter type of a leader. He's not out telling the rest of the world what he's doing leading a team. He just does it. Okay, raised in the game. His dad was his coach. So every night he watched film with the old man and played ball and was his ball boy until he became big enough to play for him. This is where the kid learned to play. He's the MVP of two big-time conferences in, in, in college football, SEC, Big 12, Heisman Trophy finalist. This kid's done it at every level. A scout told me years ago, the home run hitter theory. I said, what's home run hitter theory? He said, home run hitter theory is when you look at guys and you think, I'm not sure about them, and you go back and trace their history, they did it at a high level every step of the way. 
So there's got to be something there. Guys who don't have size, guys who don't have speed, guys who don't have whatever. But you go back, and they did it. He said, you know that kid who hit home runs that you see in the major leagues? Bet you hit home runs as a little bigger. And they're right. That's kind of that theory that they operate off of. That's Jalen Hurts. That's what he's been. And now, forget it. I, I used to tell you, I would tell you guys, I would do games and go, if you rush him, you push him left. Because if you pushed him to his left, his throwing percentage plunged, and he usually just took off and ran with it. Now you push him left, he's worked on this. Now the throwing percentage is much higher, and when he does run, he runs with purpose. It's a different ball player, and he has changed the outlook for Philadelphia too because they got an extra first-round pick for next year, guys, that they were planning on using on a quarterback if Jalen Hurts didn't work out. You can kick that idea to the curb right now. Mm-hmm. They have their quarterback. How else can they increase their team? Charles, uh, can the San Francisco 49ers get to the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy as their quarterback? They can because it's a quarterback-friendly offense, and they got the pieces around him to make it friendlier for him, and he is a tough, tough kid. I knew he was a good player in college. Let me go on record as saying when he went seventh and Mr. Irrelevant, I didn't go, oh, God, you guys took him too late. I didn't jump up on a table and go, man, you guys missed on Brock Purdy. I thought that was about right. Okay, so he's well beyond. (laughs) And, again, this is one person's evaluation. But he did go in the seventh round, the last pick of the draft. So the rest of the league didn't deem him worthy either. Okay, so no one's trying to, you know, like justify why they didn't take him. But the evaluation seemed to be kind of a consensus. Good player, excellent college player, love his leadership, like his makeup, don't know that he throws it well enough. Don't know that he runs it. You know what I'm saying? Those sorts of things. Guess what? In this offense, because if you go back since Kyle Shanahan's been there, even if they didn't win a ton of games, if Nick Mullins played quarterback, there was production. If C.J. Beathard played quarterback, there was production. Obviously, Jimmy G, there's been production. And now Brock Purdy has his opportunity and there's production. Why? Christian McCaffrey's there. Debo Samuel, when healthy, is there. Brandon Ayuk has elevated his game. George Kittle's a tight end and one of the better offensive lines in the game, plus a superior play caller in head coach Kyle Shanahan. Throw in Purdy and his fortitude and his conviction and his lack of fear, and you've got a mix now. Yes, they can get there because that defense now, was it five straight games? They'd given up 17 or less? Good luck. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Eric Armstead, he's still expected to return. They'll get that much better on that one. To me, Philadelphia and San Francisco are the biggest teams you fear in the NFC. Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Charles, great stuff as always. We'll talk next week, pal. I appreciate it. And when you find out what went down in Toronto, will you let me know? Absolutely. We'll let you know next Monday. I, I, I really look forward to it. All right. Okay. We look forward to it too. All right. Thanks, Thanks Charles. A lot. You guys be good. We'll try. Uh, there's Charles Davis brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Come in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. Uh, straight ahead, um, Stu Cowan, sports columnist for the Montreal Gazette. Tee up this Habs and Flames game tonight because the Habs had no business beating Calgary a week and a half ago here. Like it was the Jake Allen show. 
Yeah, he only made like 48 stops. I don't know what you're talking about. He was on his, and Cole Caulfield had one chance to score and he banged it in. Yeah, that was it. It was opportunistic. And he lost 2 1 to a team that you should have beat. And Sean Monahan's banged up. Shocking. Stop me if you heard this before. No, but come but on. But he'll play through it because he's a monster and that's yeah. what he does. And he's an absolute he's warrior. He's only had two hip surgeries. <sighs> only two hip surgeries in his core and his wrist and then the, oh the other God. hip before that. Like, wh- wh- that guy loves hockey to go through all of that. Legend. Yeah, legend. We'll talk to Stu Cowan straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Your chance to win a mystery prize from our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. It's day number seven of our advent calendar. Day six. Day six. Sorry, it's the cough syrup talking. Day six. Of our Wild Rose Brewery 12 Days of Christmas contest. Shoot us a text 960-960. Daryl Sutter said, uh, this happens in Toronto. You got the clip for us here? Oh, yeah. Hit it. You play and you come into Toronto. You know what goes on. Yeah, uh, we want to know what goes on in Toronto. 960-960, name and location. The best text is going to get your chance to open up the advent calendar courtesy of our friends at Wild Rose Brewery later on in the show. I got to say, I appreciate the people who are spelling it out to us. We know. As to what Daryl Sutter was implying yeah, there. the refereeing. We get it. <laughs> we get it. So, uh, but the more creative text. Yes. The, the better chance you have at opening up uh, the advent calendar, courtesy of our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. But right now on the line, teeing up this Habs-Flames game from Montreal, Stu Cowan, sports columnist for the Montreal Gazette on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest Hotline. Stu, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, Stu, where's that Where's that barn in the NHL where you kind of feel like there is suspect officiating? Say that again. Where's the what? Where's the barn in the NHL that you're like, ah, oh, maybe sometimes the calls do get a little wonky here. Is it Toronto? Yeah, I mean, it, Toronto seems to be the place. I mean, the fact that the, you know, the video reviews all come out of there, you get fans who always say complain about stuff. It was interesting to hear, though, what Sutter said last night. Uh, it be interesting to see how the NHL reacts to it also. But I guess, you know, the, generally speaking around the league, I guess Toronto would be the, uh, the arena that, that fans, uh, and I guess a coach anyway, at least one coach, believe that there's, uh, there's something going on there. Yeah, and I know that... He had a, a comment back in 04 that handed uh, landed him with a pretty hefty fine from the league in a similar vein. So we'll we'll wait and see if we do uh, find out if anything does come of it. But tonight it is the Flames. It is the Habs. I wanted to ask you about Jake Allen, Stu, because he was the story of the Canadiens' win against the Flames uh, just last week. Is Jake Allen a guy that you see a, a long-term option for the Canadiens in net, or could this be a guy who perhaps could get them back some assets. He might get them back some assets. I mean, when they signed Jake Allen, he was signed to be the backup goalie for Carey Price and to play maybe 30 games a year. And since they've signed him, Price has had all kinds of injury issues, and Allen's became uh, 
number one in his place. The thing with Jake Allen, and this is sort of what happened to him in St. Louis also, at this stage in his career, the more consecutive games he plays, the more his game seems to struggle a bit and the more likely he becomes to to get injured. Uh, but, you know, the game in Calgary, the two wins they had on the road on that recent road trip were Jake Allen. He had like a 970 save percentage or something ridiculous. But he's been, he can be hot and cold. He can be up and down. And in a, in a perfect world, he'd be the, the, the backup. Uh, but, you know, with Carey Price out and now gone on long-term injured reserve, he's sort of the, you know, he's the number one. Sam Montebo has better numbers than him. Uh, but Marty St. Louis has insisted, even when Jake Allen was struggling earlier this season, that Jake Allen is their number one guy. He's a good guy to have on this team. you got four rookie defensemen on the mm-hmm. team, and he's a veteran. He's very calm presence back there. He's really well-respected by his teammates. He's a real likable guy, and I think he's, he's a good guy to have on a team like this where, you know, Marty Sandwich wants the defenseman not to be afraid to make mistakes. He wants them to play their game. They do make mistakes. There's times they get trapped in uh, in their zone. The game the other night, the last two minutes of the uh, the first period, they couldn't get the puck out of their own end. It was like a cycle just going round and round and round. So, you know, in a perfect world, Jake Allen's a backup goalie, but the way things are right now in Montreal, he, he's the number one. But moving forward, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Caden Primo, who is now in Laval, was mm-hmm. considered their sort of goalie of the future, but he's been really good in the AHL and really bad in the NHL. Um, so moving forward, it'll be interesting to see what the goaltending situation is. Jake Allen, they signed him to a two-year contract extension, which will make him easier to trade also if another team's interested in a backup goalie or if a goalie gets hurt going into the playoffs. But for the long-term future, um, Jake Allen will not be the number one goalie for the Canadians. Have you liked the progression that you've seen from the three defensemen on entry-level contracts that are playing regular minutes up with the big club, that being Jordan Harris, Caden Gooley, and Arbor Jacki? Well, Caden Gooley, I mean, we knew he was good. He almost made the team last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's he looks like a top two defenseman in the NHL already. He's only 22, 20 years old. So he's, he's just so calm on the ice. He's calm off the ice. He's got a physical presence. He's got a little bit of a mean streak to him, too. Uh, he's been really, really, really good. Uh, Jordan Harris was a really good find in the third round, sort of the modern-day defenseman, good puck-moving guy, good skater. Uh, the biggest, well, the two biggest surprises, Arbor Jack. I mean, here's a kid who was never selected at the OHL draft. He was never selected at the NHL draft. Uh, he came to the development camp last season and did enough to impress Canadian's management that they signed him to a contract. Then he came in this year and made the team. I mean, nobody really expected that. Not only has he made the team, he's been playing regular regular minutes. Um, he's been a surprise. And then the other one is Jonathan Kovacevic, who they picked up off waivers just before the season started after Mike Matheson was injured. They were desperate to find sort of a veteran or sort of, he's not really that much of a veteran, older defenseman to come in. And he's come in and he's earned a regular spot too. So they've got four you know, rookie defensemen that they've been putting in the lineup. Uh, they've been really good. And with Kovacevic and Jack, I, uh, they both beat out the the player defenseman the Canadians picked up for uh, Arturi Lekkinen in the first round, uh, first former first round pick for the trade last year. He's playing in Laval, and meanwhile these two guys are playing here. So it's uh, Jack guys really gets better every game. He's got confidence. He's also a tough guy. Uh, he's not willing to drop the gloves, and um, yeah, they've been a really pleasant surprise for this team so far. Stu, obviously there's a lot of talk in this city about Matthew Phillips, a smaller guy, a smallest guy in the NHL, lightest guy in the NHL. And uh, I guess there's some comparisons if you want to Cole Caulfield. How has Cole Caulfield navigated playing in the NHL, being a smaller guy so far in his career, in your opinion? Yeah, all those small guys, I mean, they've learned how to protect themselves from a young age. They've been small their whole life, right? So whatever level they've been at, if they're good enough to get the NHL, they've also been targeted for sure. Um, 
with, with him, with Caulfield, it's been, you know, he's got that little spin move to avoid checks. He doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions. He's good at the, the smart awareness uh, on the ice. And since Marty St. Louis taken over, I mean, he's just flourished. I mean, he had one goal in three games with Dominic Ducharme as a coach last season. As soon as Marty St. Louis came in, uh, you know, he, he just really took off. He had 16 goals already this season. He's on pace for 48. He's just excellent at finding that open space on the ice like so many goal scorers. And him and Nick Suzuki have a real connection, a real chemistry as far as uh, you know Suzuki finding him for the one-timer pass. Uh, but Caulfield, he's just one of those guys, he's smart. He knows, he knows uh, he's able to avoid the dangerous hits. He's able to, to, to spin off. He doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions. Um, it's sort of interesting because uh, you had Slavkovsky, the number one overall pick, who's six foot three and two hundred and thirty pounds. He's been flattened three or four times this year by putting himself in vulnerable positions. I think it's a case of a guy, and Marty St. Louis spoke about this, a, bit, a guy who's been so big coming up uh, through amateur hockey that he never really had to be aware of where he was. Guys would bounce off him when they hit him. Uh, but he's put himself in some vulnerable positions this year and taken some big hits. And uh, he could probably take some lessons from watching uh, uh, Caulfield just how to avoid those sort of situations. Would Do you think a lot of individuals who maybe don't follow the Canadians a lot would be surprised by Nick Suzuki's ability as a shooter? Because if you look at the, set, uh, the stats right now for the Habs, he's only two goals back of Cole Caulfield. And I think a lot of people would expect a little bit more of a, a shooter and setup man kind of uh, point share between those two. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people always talk about what a great goal scorer Caulfield is. And as you said, you look at the stats, Suzuki only has two goals less than him. It took 14. Uh, but they sort of feed off each other. And Mike, we've talked about this also, where if people are, are, are defending towards Caulfield, expecting the pass from Suzuki, which they often do, Suzuki's not afraid to shoot the puck. And he's got a really good snapshot. He's got real accurate with it. Um, he's, you know, there's a lot of talk going into the season, 23 years old, the youngest captain in Canadian's history, going into a, a, a new eight-year huge contract, $63 million contract, or wondering if the pressure of the contract, the pressure of the captains, he might weigh on him, but he's only been better. I mean, he's really he's gotten better every game. He's been better defensively. He's been better offensively, scoring goals, and him and Caulfield really have a chemistry together. Uh, when Marty St. Louis put Kirby Dock on that line, uh, they took off. Uh, the last game, uh, St. Louis broke them up. He put with uh, Matheson, uh, sorry, with um, Monaghan Hurt. Uh, they need another center, so they put Doc at center on another line. Didn't work out for a couple of periods, so they put Doc back with uh, Caulfield and Suzuki. And the games came back in the third period, made a game out of it. But for Nick Suzuki, he's just turning into a really good all around 200 foot center, a really, really good hockey player. How do you grade the season for Uri Slavkovsky? Because you mentioned it, he, he's he been smoked a couple of times. He's really done a little bit of everything. He got smoked by Luke Shen in that Vancouver game mm-hmm. uh, behind the net, had his head down. He's thrown some big hits. He got suspended, scored big goals, been on the ice for big goals against. Like He's been able to do a little bit of everything. How do you evaluate the season for the 2022 first overall pick? Yeah, it's easy to forget he's 18 years old. The kid's a monster. I mean, he's a big, huge kid. So 6'3", 230 pounds. Um, they've, they've been bringing him along slowly. They started him off on the fourth line. They've moved him up recently. Uh, the game at first seemed to be moving really fast for him. Uh, the adjustment from the big rink also in his own zone, he was having problems when the puck would come along the wall to him uh, in the defensive zone, getting it out. He's the defenseman opposing defense and being on him quicker than what he was used to. Uh, but he, he's gotten just a little bit better as the season's gone along. And that's what the Canes are looking for there. And they're going to keep him here. It doesn't look like they're going to send him to the world juniors. They want him to be around Marty St. Louis. They want him to be around Adam Nicholas, the new skills coach that they've hired. who's done a lot of work with Slokowski. 
he's raw. I mean, uh, to me, I, I look at him, he's a, he's a little bit raw, but the physical potential there, he's got a wicked shot. They've been using him on the second power play. He needs to shoot the puck more. There's a lot of times he's getting the puck, and I think as an 18-year-old rookie, he's looking to feed his teammates instead of being a little bit selfish and just shooting the puck. That'll come, but he's a really, he's a fun kid to be around. He's a nice kid. He's a coachable kid. That's another reason why I think the Canadians are going to keep him around Montreal and, and continue to work with him. Uh, Marty St. Louis is a great coach for him. As I mentioned, Adam Nicholas has done a lot of video work with him, showing him other big players in the NHL, how they use their body, how they protect the puck. Um, he's got to be more aware. Marty St. Louis talked about this in the last road. He's got to be more aware of where he is and putting himself in vulnerable positions. Uh, but he's a smart kid, and I think he'll learn. So it's going to be a gradual process. Uh, but the Canes are happy with the way he's developed so far. And uh, as with everything with the Canes, they're not in a rush for anything. This is a long-term rebuilding program they're in. Uh, they've said right from the beginning when Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes came in that they want to build a team that's going to be a winning team for a long period of time, not a team that's going to be you know, one year in the playoffs and one year out. So um, they're patient. They're willing to let these guys grow together, and uh, he's an example of that. Stu Cowan, sports columnist for the Montreal Gazette, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline. Big Show, Ruskin Rose, Sports 960, the fan. Well, kind of to piggyback on that point, Stu, what's the temperature in Montreal, the fan base? We know that this year's draft is apparently so stocked with impact superstar players, obviously highlighted by Connor Bedard. Uh, do they want the team to start botting mo? We know they have a lot of pieces on this team that they can potentially flip at the deadline and play a lot of younger guys here down the stretch, but the Habs are kind of in the mix here for a wild card spot. What what does the fan base kind of want to see from the Habs here for the remainder of the season? Is growth and development of their current players more important than maybe bottoming out here to get another high draft pick? Yeah, it's sort of split a bit. I think there's a lot of fans who want them to tank so they can maybe get Connor Bedard, which would obviously be a great fit on any team, but um, you know, number one overall picks aren't a guarantee of a successful team. You look at Edmonton, you look at Buffalo. Um, there was a losing environment that got into the Canadians last season with Dominic Ducharme here. There was games, if they were down 2 nothing, you just knew the game was over. Uh, this team right now, they don't give up. They're a young team. They battle. They're having fun playing for Marty St. Louis. They like the way he plays. Uh, they like to, so he doesn't like systems. He has concepts. He wants them to play a fast-moving, fast-skating, offensive uh, type of game. That's the type of team he wants to have. Uh, moving forward in the future. So I think the fan base here, the Canes are fun to watch now. You know, for the last few seasons, even, you know, the year they went to the Stanley Cup final, they weren't necessarily a fun, entertaining team to watch. They'd get a 2-1 lead and try and hang on and hope Carey Price could stand on his head and get a win for them. You know, go back to the uh, first-round series against Toronto a couple of years in the playoffs. So I think it was game six. The Canes wrote shot 13-2 to in overtime, and they won. That was because of Carey Price. Uh, but now this is a team, you know, if they're down 3 nothing or 2 nothing in the third period, People aren't changing the channel now. You know, there, there's a chance this team might come back. They've got a really good spirit. There are a bunch of young guys coming up together, growing together on and off the ice, and they become entertaining. And I think Canadians fans were missing entertaining hockey for a long time. It was sort of that you know defensive style and hope Carey Price could steal a game for you or steal a playoff series for you. Whereas now they're scoring a lot of goals. You know, you got Caulfield. Caulfield's the most exciting player in Montreal since P.K. Subban was here. I mean, he's a guy, every time he gets on the ice, you can sort of, there's an anticipation at the Bell Centre that something might happen. And it's been a long time since games have had a player like that. It's been a long time since they've had a forward like that, a goal scoring, a pure goal scorer as a forward position. So, you know, some fans want them to tank and get the number one pick, but I think the majority of fans are just enjoying the fact that they're playing some entertaining hockey. It's a fun team to watch. And uh, I think fans are willing to be patient because I think they believe, and I believe also that they have a, 
good management team in place right now. They have a smart management team in place, and they're all on the same page. Um, you know, the Canes blew a 4 nothing lead on that last road trip, and Marty Sandler was so calm after the game. He was just like, this is another one of those learning processes that we're going to go through and we're going to develop. There's no panic situation involved. So, um, yeah, I think most fans are just happy to have a team that's entertaining and understand that this is a process going forward, and so far they're ahead of schedule, I think, for where most people thought they'd be as far as a rebuild. How much credit can you give to Marty St. Louis for the work that he's done in 10 months to make this team more exciting for the fans, but also have a direction that kind of makes sense with where the roster is and and the construction of everything throughout the franchise? Yeah, when he came in, and the players all talked about the first speech he made in the locker room and how motivating it was and how it gave them such a boost. Um, You know, the last game uh, for Dominic Ducharme's head coach, Josh Anderson, came out and said, you know, it's not, it's no fun going to the rink anymore. We're not having any fun. These guys are having a lot of fun right now. Um, he's, he's, he wants them to play the game. He's, he'd rather have a player make a decision on the ice and make the wrong decision or make a mistake than be afraid to make a decision or afraid to make a read. Um, I think the Canadians for many years, a lot of their young prospects uh, were, were hurt. Their development was hurt because they were playing with just a, a constant fear of making a mistake. If you make a mistake, you're going to get benched or you're going to get sent to the AHL or you're going to get traded or whatever. And I think that really hurt the development of a lot of their young players. And as I mentioned before, with four rookie defensemen in the lineup, they're letting them make mistakes. As Marty St. Louis said, I, I don't coach mistakes, I coach trends. So if a guy makes one mistake in a game, he's not going to get on him. He's not going to get all over him. He's going to, you know, they'll point it out and maybe show him what he did wrong. But if, if a guy starts making the same mistake four or five, six times in a row, then it's a different story. You're going to have to work with him. But he wants the guys to play free. He wants them to be willing to make reads and make decisions and not worry about, you know, you're going to get benched if you make a bad read because it, it's it's all about development. And I think he, he believes the best way to develop these guys is to let them play their game and, and whatever their skills are, use those skills to the best of their ability. Stu, before I let you go, um, we know right now the best team in Canada points-wise is the Toronto Maple Leafs. But in your opinion, who's the best team in Canada or which team in Canada is going to have the deepest playoff run? That's that's such a good question. Uh, the Leafs should be that team. Uh, but, you know, history just <laughs> shows you that uh, uh, what if, for whatever reason, when it gets to the, the playoffs, the Leafs have, have issues. And... Um, Toronto should be the team. Um, Winnipeg's interesting. You know, they're off to a really, really good start. Um, but again, I, the Leafs, the Leafs to me are the team that should be the, the most dangerous one in the playoffs. Even I mentioned you know, two years ago when the, you know, the game six against the Canadians, the Leafs should have won that game. You know, Thirteen to two, they have shot the Canadians in, in overtime. And if they win that series, who knows what would have happened moving forward? But uh, to me, I'll, I'll still say the Leafs are, are, to me, should be the most dangerous Canadian team going into the playoffs. All right, Stu Cowan, sports columnist for the Montreal Gazette. Stu, great stuff. Thanks for this. Enjoy the game tonight. Okay, my pleasure, guys. Stu Cowan brought to you by the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Mm. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. Uh, we got some housekeeping, housekeeping. to do before... We um, need more lemon pledge. We talked to uh, Peter Labardius at the top of the hour. Um, we got to do our NFL Big Bets, brought to you by Sports Select. Sports Select has more sports leagues, and for a limited time, better odds on over-under and point spread. Build your ticket at sportselect.com. What did we do this week? <laughs> we were bad, weren't we? We were great. Uh, I oh. continue to be awful. 
I told you, just fade me every time. <sighs> I don't like honestly. I texted you guys what I was gonna take. I don't even remember any of my picks because I was so whacked out on cold meds. They were fine. It was another kind of standard week for all of us. Uh, George and Mediocre. Dumas, both two and six, two and four. Mediocre. I was three and three. Uh, as a group, this is really impressive. We went 0-4 on uh, the Thursday nighter because okay. we all had the Raiders minus six, and they completely botched that. And then um, you and I had the over last night, and Dumas had the Dolphins minus three and a half. So we also went over on the Sunday nighter. Hmm. We didn't have a single game where all three of us were right. Okay. Um, I did hit the over in that 49ers and Buccaneers game because 37 and a half points was too low. But yeah, uh, George is 24 and 36 on the season, <laughs> bringing up last. Dumas, I'm ready to sing. Dumas hanging around 500. No, that voice. Uh, 29 and 31. Maybe. And then uh, I'm 34 and 26. Still above 500, okay. but... Um, this mo- uh, that's two weeks in a row where I've been three and three, which is a unit loss, which we don't love. Uh, we got a lot of uh, stuff to do in the eight o'clock hour. We still got to give away our, uh, it's the sixth day of our 12 days of Christmas from our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Um, nine sixty nine sixty on the text line. Uh, Daryl Sutter says, uh, sometimes this happens in Toronto. What happens in Toronto? Nine sixty nine sixty on the text line. And yes, we thank you for texting in. We know it's about the officiating. You don't have to... <laughs> like this one. Daryl is actually saying the bleep upstairs don't want those maple... Oh, I can't even read the rest of this one. This is egregious. Okay, that's fine if you that's... want to send us a profanity lace text. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, the most creative text is going to get, get, get your chance to open up the advent calendar from Wild Rose Brewery. We'll do that later on in the show. Peter Labardia, straight ahead, <laughs> color analyst. For the Flames on Sportsnet 960. And for the Wranglers yesterday. Uh, Battle of Alberta going to Commonwealth Stadium in October. That's exciting. Outside, yeah. We're going to have a Heritage Classic And it's going to be in October, so it's not minus a bajillion Edmonton. Like, like it the was. last time they did it, and it was yeah. like minus 35. Yeah. The ice was Would literally you cracking. Would I go? Yeah. Yeah, I'd go. Okay. Like, listen. It, Sit outside, be like hardcore? Shirt no, off? No, God, no. I'd have to be in the press box for oh. sure. Are you such kidding a me? Snob. <laughs> You're such a media snob. Yes. Oh, no, absolutely not, George. I'll be like, I what? have to sit in the media box, just, just, just having a little bit of a nip of caviar while yeah. I'm watching the Battle of Alberta. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe s- some Chablis to yeah. go with that as well, because mm-hmm. they serve caviar at Commonwealth. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Beluga. Ross Tucker would be up at Commonwealth for every game. Yeah. If they had caviar in the press box. That's another question for another day. What? What, what kind of foods at the press box at Commonwealth Stadium? <laughs> Peanut butter smeared on a playing card. All right. Okay. Straight ahead, Peter Labardius, Flames color analyst for Sportsnet 960. Tommy Wilden Jr., Calgary FC manager, coach. We'll talk about the World Cup. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show, Ruskin Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Card.